0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is The Art of Being Well. What's up, and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam. And I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, and Ketotarian. And my new book is for pre-order right now. We have lots of exciting stuff. You can check it all out, whether you want to learn about my clinical work, the telehealth center, the books, the pre-order for gut feelings. It's all at drwillcole.com. That's D R. W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E dot com. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, I'm giving away free signed books of your choice every month, no matter when you listen to this episode. I will be randomly picking winners. All you have to do is head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well there. Tell us what you love about the show. And you can do it two different ways. You can leave your Instagram handle on the Apple Podcast review, Or you can screenshot your Apple podcast review and message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And every month I will be going through with my team, the messages on Instagram and the Apple podcast reviews and randomly picking winners every month. And then I'll reach out to you, ask what book you want and who to sign it to, and I'll send it out to you personally. All right, let's get to today's guest. He is a longtime friend of mine. He's actually been on the podcast before, and we're going to get even nerdier, if that's even possible. His name is Taro Isakupola. Taro is the founder and CEO of Four Sigmatic, a functional foods company that wants to make the world's most studied and nutrient-dense foods more delicious and easier to consume. He earned a degree in chemistry, business, and a certificate in plant-based nutrition at Cornell University. Taro is the author of such books as Healing Mushrooms, Santa sold shrooms and was chosen twice as one of the world's top 50 food activists by the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. Taro is also the author of the brand new book, Healing Adaptogens, the definitive guide to using super herbs and mushrooms for your body's restoration, defense, and performance. We talk all about this new book and so much more. We're gonna go around the world, my friends. We're gonna learn about the adaptogens from all around the world. And stay tuned through the entire conversation because at the end, I'll answer another one of your burning health questions and Didn't ask me anything. All right. This is Taro Isakopila's Art of Being Well. Taro, my friend, thanks for coming back on the podcast. I'm so pumped. Thanks for having me back on. Of course. You're one of the few repeat Art of Being Well guests. Ooh. So... I'm excited, I'm excited. And it's because it's that good. There's so much information to cover. We just scratched the surface in the first episode for people go back and listen to that episode after this one where we talk about so many things. And I've just, as we were about to start recording, I was thinking, okay, I've known you for a long time now and I feel like I know how to pronounce your last name, but I want to get it from the man himself to see if I've been mispronouncing it all these years. Tero Isokawupila. Is that right or not?
1: He, totally. That was I'll give given. A minus.
0: <laughs> so tell my American dialect, what's the actual true way to say it? The, the 100% A plus way. Tero Isokawupila. Okay. All right. I'll just roll my R's a little bit. I'll be okay. Yeah. I, well, you, I'll get
1: a, you, you know, Tero um, Isakopala. Yeah. Is that better? Now you get an A. <laughs> you went all from right. A minus to A. What's
0: the last name meaning? I love your last name. It's the best to say, even if you're saying it um, A minus.
1: Yeah. All our names mean something or pretty much. So my first name is like a warrior saint, and my middle name means kings of elves and mystics. And then the last name means what your family did or most in Finnish cases where they lived. So the most common last names in Finland are like by the bay or on top of a hill because you happen happened to be the one family in that area that lived on top of a hill. And there was a lot of those hills. So a lot of last names are on top of a hill. My last name means a large... Store or a marketplace. So, I guess my ancestors, besides having a farm, were merchants and they had like, and there was like a store or merchants. And then there was our neighbor is the merchants on top of a hill, and we're the large merchants. (laughs) So, I love it. What it means.
0: I love it, man. We're going to learn from this Viking mystic king of the elves right now. That name could not be more fitting. We're talking about this brand (laughs) new book, Healing Adaptogens. I always learn so much from you, and I'm always bugging you via text too and asking you randomly deep questions about life (laughs) and the the universe. So now I'm excited to share it with everybody else (laughs) publicly. So let's talk about this book. What was
1: the genesis of this book, Healing Adaptogens? It was two parts. So I wrote a book called Healing Mushrooms almost not a decade ago, but a while ago. And that was when I got to the US when around the time we met, people didn't really know about mushrooms. People, even herbalists and doctors were scared of mushrooms. Now fast forward half a decade or a little more and people are like, psychedelics are a hot thing. And everybody, there's like a new mushroom brand everywhere around the corner. And you can find them in all these products. And... I've, as much as I've been passionate about functional mushrooms, I've been part of like types of mushrooms and herbs called adaptogens that we can get into. And Mm -hmm. I felt that they are very misunderstood. They're used in marketing of all kinds of products, but there's a lot of both modern science and historical use on on them. So that Mm -hmm. that was important. And then secondly, I want to write books, which is probably interesting for your books as well, is I want to write books that last a long time that are like, Practical guides. They were like yeah. the book. I think my mushroom book is the second highest reviewed mushroom book on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I hope that this book would have existed 10, 20 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. when I started learning about adaptogens. So it was 20 years I would have read this book and it would have been such a tool and a guide for me navigating. Instead, I've had to like hit my head in the wall for 20 years. And for this book alone, I went through thousand research papers, just to kind of what, what does the scientific evidence say about these adaptogens versus Instagram? (laughs) Yeah,
0: a hundred percent. And I have to say, like, as I was reading the book and healing mushrooms too, as you mentioned, it is the go-to manual and this will be as well. It'll be have a very long shelf life. Very literally (laughs) it'll be on people's shelves. as something to go back and really learn about the science and the practical application of this group of plant medicines, known as adaptogens. So most of my listeners have heard about adaptogens. They know about it. But for people that are newer to the conversation, just let's define adaptogens briefly. And then secondly, can we, I know that there's the nomenclature in our world. Sometimes people lump mushrooms in with adaptogens, which I have done in past articles Mm -hmm. and researching because I know certain mushrooms have adaptogenic qualities, but I have also heard people say, well, no, you shouldn't. They're medicinal mushrooms and those are adaptogens. What What's the difference between the two? But first, what are adaptogens?
1: Sure. So there's a short and a little bit longer version. So one is that they're, they are super herbs and mushrooms that help your body to adapt to stress. So that would be the one phrase answer. The longer phrase comes from the inventor of the term adaptogens, uh, Dr. Lazaro, so, a lot of the original studies were with the Soviet military, and there's interesting reasons why they moved from drugs like amphetamine to try to find natural substances that would improve performance but without the letdown. And Dr. Lazarov and his research team came up with th- three pretty simple rules what adaptogens are, but factually, only a couple dozen things today really qualify between those three simple rules. So one is that they're safe and non-toxic and non-habit forming. So it means you can take them on a daily basis. And even in the herbal part, like you could take like so many examples of common day herbs that you're not supposed to take every day and they actually become toxic over time. My, one of my favorite examples is garlic. If you have garlic, it will stimulate your immune system too much and, and it will be a problem. So these ones don't have that. Fairly simple. Well, you could say, well, what about dietary fiber? That's safe every day. Yes, but then comes the two other requirements. One is that they restore balance, so they're not stimulated or sedated. So they're modulators. There's a few different terms used, but they basically are two directional. But they support body systems to in up and down depending on your needs. Mm-hmm. And then the third requirement, which is sometimes the hardest to understand, is that they're non-specific. So unlike macro and micronutrients, these, what I like to say, nanonutrients impact the body systems out of the 11 systems you'd learn in med school and how they restore balance with those, be it circulatory system, digestive system, endocrine system, reproductive system. And that's sometimes confusing because we like to think in such isolated forms that a nutrient only does one thing, but Mm -hmm. adaptogens work multiple body systems. Got it. So it's fair to say, I, from the
0: expert himself, me using the terminology adaptogenic mushrooms is
1: something that you would correct. It is, it's correct. And the other seminal books on adaptogens, like there's one that I read when I was starting out, Stephen Mames and David Winston's book on adaptogens. It's interesting because like, particularly in the West, which is, this is not originally in concept, but it's made popular in America, adaptogens. Americans are very mushroom literate versus Mm -hmm. a lot of the other herbalists and researchers are knowledgeable about mushrooms. So I think that's the reason why people think of those as differently. Like I remember coming to the US uh, 10 years ago and talking to top herbalists and they wouldn't know what reishi is or cordyceps. They didn't know about beta-deglugans and they were like pretty unaware, whereas just today some of the knowledge Mm -hmm. has increased. But yeah, not every functional medicinal mushroom is an adaptogen mm-hmm. and, but then adapt- top adaptogens include some functional mushrooms as well. So there's an overlap and yeah. it really comes down to mushrooms is more of like from a lens of biology and then adaptogens are more from the lens of nutrition or more of the physiology side.
0: Got it. So they're, they're meant to modulate stress. They're bi-directional. They're supportive for people that have fatigue problems, brain fog problems. We're ready to get into the specific benefits. I, I have dog-eared... I love A librarian <laughs> would be very mad at me right now because I took your beautiful book and I no, dog-eared tons of it. That's but the right way to use it book. It's well-used, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I just remember the librarians growing up at school would always yell no, at me. No, I love I'd, it. Yeah. I love a book. That me means- too. Me too. It's like the tech... The, the actual i you don't know the uh, don't get in physicality of it you exactly. can use
1: the markings and audiobook you can use the highlights but you don't get the dog ears exactly the physicality the tactile
0: aspect of it if you've been living with eczema acne rosacea you can relate to the frustration of trying dozens and dozens of different products over the years without any long term relief With GladSkin, you can expect something very different. GladSkin is a new category of skin treatment that is made for people of all ages with eczema-prone, acne-prone, and rosacea-prone skin. But what actually causes the itchiness, redness, inflammation, and discomfort in the skin? It's actually a disruption of the bacterial environment that we all know on The Art of Being Well, we know. It is called the skin microbiome. GladSkin specifically works to target the imbalance in your skin's microbiome. But unlike other skincare brands and prescription medications, GladSkin uses microbalance, a revolutionary protein that restores the balance of the good and bad bacteria that live on your skin so it can finally heal. It is so effective that 91% of users, both adults and children, who tried their top-selling eczema cream, reported significant improvement after just seven days. GladSkin and MicroBalance is steroid-free, works without harsh ingredients, and is clinically proven to reduce eczema symptoms. It's even gentle enough for babies. So if you've been frustrated with your treatment options, don't wait to try GladSkin. They are offering the Art of Being Well listeners 15% off Plus free shipping on your first order at gladskin.comslash will coal. That's gladskin.comslash will coal for 15% off plus free shipping. Gladskin.comslash will coal. To me, I want to make this conversation a deeper dive, part two of our first conversation and talk about maybe lesser known or they've heard the term, but didn't think of it as an adaptogen. And you have so many very fascinating anecdotes and history and just rich science behind it. And they can read the book for all the ins and outs of it. But the first one that I wanna highlight, you mentioned a minute ago was cordyceps. And there's a brief history that you talk about horny yaks (laughs) to professional athletes. So can you talk about cordyceps adaptogens and adaptogenic mushrooms all around the world. This one's in from the Himalayas originally, Nepal, India, China.
1: What's the, what's up with cordyceps? Cordyceps is a very fascinating fungi for a lot of reasons. First of all, it is very feared because there's multiple cordyceps species and some of those cordyceps species kill particularly insects. So there is a famous BBC documentary which Richard Attenberg kind of narrating how cordyceps take over these bullet ants and they become zombies. So zombie killer ants. So that's famous on the internet. And there's a very famous game, I believe it's Last of Us, that take basically has the premise where cordyceps takes over humans and we become zombies. So there's a lot of fear around it. But it's completely safe to humans. And it was discovered by the Sherpas, so the people... High altitude mountain guides in the Himalayas, and they were observing yawks, which are the large mammals that carry goods up and down the mountains after they were tired, they started grazing on this fungi and after that they got horny and you know a lot of knowledge before modern science was validating these functions, it was through observing nature. so observing animals, observing nature was like indicators of what certain things are good for and this inspired the Sherpas to start using it. And it's been used for thousands of years. And then interestingly for adaptogens, I think it's a good case study. It's interesting. We didn't talk before we started recording, but it's fascinating that you chose that one because I think it's a good example of what adaptogens do and their power and how mm. they work systematically. So one of the studies on n is around VO2 max. It's very popular among endurance athletes and it's increased... Depending how well trained individual you are, is up to 15% higher VO2 max. But let's say you, well, you're, you exercise, but suddenly you're able to take 10% more oxygen into your lungs. Mm-hmm. What is the systematic impact, the waterfall that happens if you take 10% more oxygen? Sports performance is one, libido might be two, but honestly, more energy naturally. You will recover better and hopefully it will actually end up impacting your sleep quality. The other example, there's a study of cordyceps around ATP production. So your cellular energy. So imagine that your cellular energy, those studies can be up to 50% better. So your you produce naturally, your power system in your body is 50% better. Is what is the impact on your life? It will have so many like a cascading effect on so many body systems if your cellular energy is improved if your oxygen intake is improved so i think corticep is a good case study to these mm-hmm. adaptogens on how these certain body system improvements will have multiple benefits to your daily life got it and you you there as i mentioned each
0: section that's highlighting these different adaptogens from around the world, they really highlight the exciting science around it. It's pretty interesting. And you mentioned that the nicknames for cordyceps are some of them are Cordyceps and and Himalayan Viagra. I think it speaks for itself for those euphemisms for cordyceps.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think the other interesting thing about nutrition and health and wellness is this constant debating. Like we love to debate, like should we- animal products should you not eat animal products should you take high in hip fats or not high in fats and i think the interesting thing with these camps is there's a school of like very modern evidence-based camp of people right and then there's a group of people that are very natural like history tradition based people and what's fascinating about adaptogens is that it's both yeah so the Fundamental aspect of adaptogen is evidence-based science. And to become an adaptogen, you needed to have tons of really credible research papers. But funny enough, the adaptogens that have so far been validated are all top-of-the-top herbs and fungi from each corner of the world. And they've been used for generation after generation after generation, and they've been elevated to the status of immortal herbs and fungi in those native regions. So I think. I think they're cool because like minimal to no calories, tons of interesting health benefits, completely safe, and mm-hmm. they kind of work in whatever camp you are between tradition mm-hmm. and modern.
0: Yeah. It's, I, I, and hopefully that's, in my mind, that's what functional medicine is. It's not either or, it's both. And hopefully that's what this show is too, it, for people as well. It's collaborative, it's integrative, and it doesn't have to be super tribal to, to get the best of both worlds. The next one I want to highlight, we went from the Himalayas, Nepal, India, China. Now we're going to go to this mushroom specifically is found in different parts. I think it's in Russia, but it's also indigenous Americans used it as well. And it's lion's mane. Mm -hmm. So I love the research around lion's
1: mane. And I'd love for you to share it with the people. Yeah, lion's mane is a tree mushroom. It has a lot of nicknames. It grows in the Northeast of the United States as well. So it is native to multiple states in the U.S. It's quite delicious, fresh. It's increasingly available at farmer's markets. So if you ever get to cook it in butter and salt. But as far as its research goes, lion's mane is actually, you know, I have a lot of favorites, but I'd say it's very special because, for example, cordyceps, which I love, is that there is a lot of tools for energy. Like if I want to improve sports performance and energy, I could have also set ginseng, rhodiola. Like there's all these other things I can take for energy and yeah. sexual function. But there isn't many in the world that naturally do what Lion's Mane does. Is One of the things it does, it's able to penetrate the blood-brain barrier. And this is quite remarkable because the body is divided with multiple kind of containers. And one of these containers is the blood-brain barrier that protects the brain from toxins. So if your body's poisoned, it doesn't go to the brain because it would be detrimental, right? So very few things, glucose, some nasty things like heroin can penetrate it, but lion's mane is able to penetrate the blood-brain barrier and bring nutrients to the brain, which is hard. And like we both know, a lot of signs of dementia start decades before the actual symptoms. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a compound in Lion's Mane that is able to then protect and repair nerve growth factors in these myelin sheets. And it's quite fascinating that we can heal our brain because when I started studying as a kid, physiology and anatomy through my mom and some of the old textbooks that she would teach to students, there was a lot of assumption that you can heal brain cells. Like if you drink a glass of alcohol, you lose brain cells, you're never going to get them back. And now we know you can. It is slow though. So things like lion's mane, there's very interesting studies on, let's say people with mild cognitive impairment and how people who have mild cognitive impairment were put into this memory test. And it was a double control placebo study. And every week, The group that took lion's mane versus the control improved. And on the week after week 16, they were then also given a placebo. So it was like control group, but also the group who got the benefits started receiving the placebo after 16 weeks and results went down. And I would love to get obviously more and more research, but it's quite fascinating how it also offers besides long-term nutrients for the brain, it gives short-term benefits for memory. Love that. Yeah, it's. I've seen it be a game changer
0: for patients, specifically with brain fog, that are, have word recall, name recall problems, that feel almost hungover sometimes, and fatigue, certainly. And the science really points to that direction as well.
1: And to build up of that, I'm sure you've seen this with your practice. But 10 years ago, brain health was such a small topic, like and as in like a market size in the United States, it was like 89 million or something, like nothing. And naturally and now it's become one of the most desired things everybody's looking for nootropics and these smart drugs but a lot of the nootropics come with serious side effects mm-hmm. so the dosing and cycling becomes very important because they they have like they can work but they're usually pharmaceutical based and have you know downsides yeah. so that's what's interesting about lion's mane that it is a real food that you can take on a daily basis Yeah,
0: that is a great point. You're right, the the amount of people searching for neurotropics, nootropics, is that these adaptogens and medicinal mushrooms, many of them are natural neurotropics to bring into their life. So for people that are interested in that, these are the actual plant medicine versions of these. Have you heard of Ava Jane's Kitchen? Oh my gosh, they have something called Kalima sea salt. This sea salt is soft, moist, and crunchy. It's a great finishing salt for steaks, cookies, whatever you want. It's free of ocean-borne microplastics. It's actually harvested from the Kalima Salt Flats in Mexico, a country that I love. You'll be supporting the Saloneros by purchasing hand-harvested and sun-dried salt so you, can, you don't lose any of its natural minerals. This salt is only able to be harvested in the dry season, so sometimes they run out. This is a truly sustainable sourced product. It has no added fluoride, iodine, or any anti-caking agents. Instead of just making your food salty, what it does is actually enhances the flavor of the food. It's a subtle difference that makes all the difference, not only for taste, but for your health as well. When I'm consulting patients, I have to say, Electrolyte imbalances are so common. And when your electrolytes are off, it can impact your energy levels. It can impact things like migraines. It can impact sleep, cramping, mood swings, and salt, especially mineral rich salt like the Kalima salt from Ava Jane's kitchen. It is a great source of all the electrolytes you need, like magnesium. Sodium, potassium that you need for so many different pathways for your body, for your brain function, energy production. So, definitely, this is beyond just a way to flavor your food. This is a a wonderful, nutrient dense, mineral rich source to bring into your life. So, check out drwillcoalsalt.com to get your first bag of Kalima sea salt absolutely free. They're going to give away a free bag of this wonderful, mineral rich salt. Again, that's drwillcoalsalt.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E-S-A-L-T.com. drwillcoalsalt.com. Get your first bag of Kalima salt absolutely free. You only have to pay for shipping. drwillcoalsalt.com. I'm curious to get your thought on people that are interested in foraging there. Maybe they live in the Northeast and they wanna look for lion's mane. Is that something you recommend? I mean, I know that there are very toxic mushrooms too. So
1: what's your thoughts on there for the lay person out there listening? Huge proponent of it. So love, 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 love about it. I would say some of the pitfalls people face is they are first scared because there are lethal and poisonous mushrooms, yes. Good news is there isn't that many, like you learn them very quickly. Secondly, like, is there anything in your life that you assume you're an expert on day one? Like if you started to start kite surfing, like you think you're going to be a pro kite surfer on day one, like, no, you're no. going to eat shit for the last first couple of <laughs> days learning it. And then you're going to yeah. get a hang of it. Right. And even yeah, then yeah. you're far from a pro. Right. So same with foraging, it's going to take a while, but the poisonous ones you'll learn quickly. What I also love it is that let's assume you don't find anything and you completely bomb. you still had the probably amazing forest bathing. Yes. So you got fresh air, you were walking, you were connecting with nature. And yeah, it's, it's beautiful in many ways. I do recommend foraging courses. So find a local expert, maybe a mycology association, maybe an herbalist. Usually some people have joined knowledge of both and go with experts the first few times. And you will find so much more like so many what we think are weeds are actually edible medicinal plants found in like in our yard. I've taken people to Central Park to forage
0: in New York. That's amazing. Yes. I I mean, I did one. I mean, very much a novice, but I went and took one this this past summer and I learned so much that plants I grew up with. had no idea. They're just mowing the lawn. They don't really think about these species that are actually edible, medicinal and nature is so beautiful that they pair the plants together with things that are complementary. I mean, it
1: is astounding. Um, Yeah. And again, there's really don't need anything you don't ID. So that's a good rule, like be that way, but there's nothing to lose like otherwise. And like, and to go out there and find stuff. And it's like the worst case is you had a great walk in beautiful air and you probably enjoyed forest bathing and you have reduced stress levels. Absolutely. So that we're gonna go, we were in the
0: Northeast looking at lion's mane. Now I wanna go to, it's in Africa. It's also in the Caribbean. It is not talked about enough, but I use it clinically. It's Mucuna
1: Purians. Mm -hmm. So what's the story behind Mucuna? Mukuna is also known as like a velvet bean. It's also somewhat common in Ayurveda, although not as prestigious as Ashwakanda and Tulsi, but it's right up there as one of the top Ayurvedic herbs as well. What makes Mukuna interesting, and this is actually like another example, like the cordyceps of the magic of adaptogens, is that it is very high in L-DOPA, which is a precursor to dopamine. It has other other amazing health benefits as well, but that's what it's most known for. Mm-hmm. And assuming that you get these neurotransmitters that you can like positive feel good hormones, it will improve so many other functions in your body. So Mukuna is often, I like to use it in aphrodisiac blends as one of the both men and women can benefit from it. And it's interesting when, when you're in the mood, you are in the mood. So like when you take mood-elevating herbs, you actually, your libido increases. So there are herbs that are very specific for libido. That is the yohimbe. that is the Tonga Ali. That's, those are the sniper rifles. But when your stress gets reduced, like an Ashwagandha, or when you're, you, you're a happier person, like Mukuna, it has often amazing health benefits for sports and libido. But what I think I like to use it most is combined with things like coffee and cacao. And for like energy, cognitive function, a little bit of pep in the step type of a thing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a very beautiful mood enhancing energizer, Mm -hmm. but it has all these other compounding effects because how it works.
0: Got it. Speaking of cacao, that actually, but we're on the same wavelength, my friend, is I was thinking of cacao and and I think it's obviously people know and heard of the term and they know cocoa and they know chocolate certainly, but they don't really revere it in the way that it's been used traditionally and I have seen it really impact people positively when used in a traditional way, an adaptogenic way. So they may be surprised to learn that cacao is adaptogenic. So what's the story behind cacao?
1: Well, cacao it's potentially the most interesting food in the world and not just I can talk about the science and how it impacts our body but honestly if you look at culturally like what has reached such claim as chocolate like there isn't that many things yeah it was used as a currency by the Aztecs and it was used ceremonially by multiple multiple tribes I guess ancient cultures so it's still today it's it's a nut. It's the most common nut we eat, but we don't know it's a nut. It's completely misunderstood from kind of a biology point of view. and it is the most complex food to my knowledge. So I have about 1200 things that impacts our body. so it's very complex. And in its true form, it is quite medicinal. And it, particularly because of these serotonin neurotransmitters that it contains, it's also very high in magnesium, high in theobromine, which is where it gets its Latin name, theobromine cacao, which is like a sister compound to caffeine. So it's very uplifting because of theobromine. It's very grounding because of magnesium and other minerals, but it is also full of various compounds that impact our brain activity from like the feelings people when they break up or are in love and how chocolate is associated, that's not by chance. That's not marketing. That's like a yeah. real thing when you have real cacao or even dark chocolate, the impact it has on our brain and our body is like significant. And it's actually one of the most noticeable herbs one can take. So if, if you're a person who's like, well, I've taken supplements, I didn't feel anything... One of the things to take where you really feel something is actually real cacao.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned like the mood boosting benefits of it. And you talk about the specific compounds within the book, of basically cannabinoids. So when people think of mm-hmm. CBD and how it works on the endocannabinoid system, well, cacao has cannabinoids too, right?
1: Correct. And that's why it's not rare that be it chocolate brownies or uh, and like chocolate, psilocybin and these things are a thing from a synergistic point of view as well and there is there is like other terpenes in the adaptogen family as well that are slightly different like Rishi has triterpenes but yeah there is it works on our cannabinoidals cannabinoid system and impacts so many ways our brain there's a few different compounds that have been isolated that we today know about that give you this bliss this kind of cacao high got it and you mentioned in the book it has over 1200
0: phytonutrients so like you probably agree that we're just scratching the surface on the research and the profound complexity of how these compounds interwork right i mean it's
1: so deep yeah like obviously depending on what body system we're talking about this is actually a good segue is is sometimes people are like hey how long should i take set supplement like how long mm-hmm. should i take Probiotics, how long should I take this and that, right? And what I, I would like to think is like, what is the desired benefit that you're seeking? And how quickly does that desired part of your body replenish itself? So let's say the skin takes about a month to heal, depending on your age and genetics. So in a month, you will have a completely new skin. Therefore, to get results on any skin routine, internal, ingestible, or topical, will take about a month. So So, if you want to heal your gut, or if you have, let's say, autoimmune, that's many months, if not year, journey. Like you can make some progress immediately, but to fully heal your gut is a long, laborsome journey, right? Yeah, yeah. Because gut doesn't just heal overnight. If you have spine issues, if you have brain issues, like you can't heal the brain or spine overnight. But certain things you can, such as energy production and stress levels. So those are things that where you can get kind of immediate benefits. So I think that's somewhat interesting and I think it's often misunderstood. So when people are like, how long should I be on this supplement or this adaptogen? I think that's also a factor of like, what are your desired benefits?
0: Yeah, yeah, where's your baseline? Certainly. And I, like we keep mentioning here, these things have been used traditionally, it was just part of life. For, for thousands of years. So they didn't really think of like, this is my thing and now I'm done with it, it which is a part of their routine. And there's different seasons of your life. Like these can be used therapeutically for a season for sure. But I think that these should be integrated as part of your daily routine in different ways and variety of them. Completely agree. Yeah. I've just about seen it all when it comes to superfood blends. Some are great and really high quality with amazing ingredients, but a lot are let's be honest, they're cheap and just not very good to be honest and not worth your money or time. But one new superfood blend that I recently started hearing about trying for myself and loving is metabolic reds. Metabolic reds packs 37 superfoods into one delicious berry flavored scoop that you mix into a glass of water and drink just once a day. Super simple. And it's a great way to start your day off feeling amazing. From the moment you leave home in the morning until you're going to sleep at night, it contains a high quality blend of antioxidant rich organic red fruits, soothing adaptogens, probiotics for your gut health, and digestive enzymes for your gut health. And together, these superfood blends helps you support a healthy gut and digestion, healthy weight management and metabolism, healthy immune system, healthy heart, healthy aging, all the things. Basically, everything you need to start feeling incredible and full of energy every single day. And Metabolic Reds fits perfectly into any healthy lifestyle. So whether you eat keto, vegan, paleo, it doesn't matter. Metabolic Reds will perfectly complement what you're already doing. And right now, you can try Metabolic Reds risk-free and get a free bottle of their incredible sister product, Metabolic Greens. All you have to do is go to getreds.com slash to place your order. You're getting two amazing products for the price of one, but only while limited supplies last. So head on over to getreds.com slash to purchase your supply of Metabolic Reds. Again, that is getreds.com slash Will Cole to order Metabolic Reds today and receive your free gift. So let's stay in South America right now and go to maca. And people have heard of maca. I don't know if I just happen to be thinking about libido today, but the, the maca is traditionally known to help with low libido as well, but not just yeah. that. But let's talk about maca. And I know there's different types of maca with different tastes. Like, What's the, the deal with maca?
1: Yeah, it comes from the Andes. It's known as a Peruvian ginseng sometimes, but it's not a ginseng. It's more of a tuber it's like in the it's a cursive vegetable. So some people actually can get some digestive upset of it similar to like broccoli and Brussels sprouts. So there is a there's an element of how it's prepared as well. There was a moment when I thought not to include this in the book because it is one of those adaptogens where there's slightly less research, still quite a bit, but like not as much as some of the others. But it has, because of the last 10 years, besides ginseng and a couple others, it's one of the more commonly used adaptogens. So anecdotal evidence is very high. Scientific research for certain studies, it was a little harder to find like credible research around it. But it is... Fascinating, like many of the other adaptogens. It grows in extreme altitude. It grows in an environment where nothing else really grows. And it's had a critical history with its indigenous cultures. And then, and they've kept it as like an elevated, sacred food. I'd say for most people, energy, so sports performance, pre or post workout, I would probably recommend pre workout. There is Kind of like cyclist studies, where like they did a forty-kilometer like thing with and without maca. There's so there's positive benefits to those who took maca. I'd say libido. There's a lot of both. There's that's actually where there's more studies. You mentioned contains- a randomized.
0: Sorry, you mentioned a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial uh, with men with erectile dysfunction, people mm-hmm. with low libido. So is that where most of the studies are? are yeah, most of the studies
1: around libido, there's a little bit less on other stuff. And so it's definitely sold for sexual function and they, they, that's where most of its studies are. There is, there is a, besides the ED study, there's like arginine that has as an individual compound has more studies about like semen production and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think it's like, it truly helps with stress. So, you know, working the HPA axis. So I would, I would not just solely keep it as an aphrodisiac, but I actually do think it has nutrients and benefits that affect the whole body. But it was one of the things, even though it's one of the well, best known adaptogens, weirdly, besides sexual function, there is a lot less research than many others. Even ones that in America, people might have not heard about, there's still more studies on other stuff, but it, to me, it's a sound adaptogen and it's an interesting to use. And it's a fun one with like smoothies. And if you do more elaborate coffee recipes, I think it's interesting. Got it. And it's a good source of vitamin C as well, right? So you, Yeah. And, and many of these are high doses of some micronutrients, speed, vitamins and minerals. Um, it's hard to kind of justify that this would be the sole reason of taking some of these. Maybe yeah. Acerola is the exception, because you can get vitamin C cheaper in other forms. But it usually the vitamin C enhances absorption of the other nutrients. So what's interesting is like, I don't know, have you ever met a client that was vitamin D deficient, vitamin C deficient? Yeah, it's not super common. We don't But if here. you put almost any of your clients on high dose of vitamin C, their life quality gets up, right? Yes, absolutely. So I think yeah. what's interesting about vitamin C is, I don't think anybody here will have scurvy. So it's not like <laughs> why functional medicine is so cool. It's like if you take the baseline that is done on a bell curve, where 95% of population that how to avoid major illnesses with vitamin C, the thresholds there, we're all good. But if Mm -hmm. you take high dose of vitamin C, suddenly all these other positive health benefits appear. Mm -hmm. So because it's also water soluble, the risks are so low. So I I would say like somewhat similar with B vitamins, but except they kind of like sometimes are used incorrectly. But to me, vitamin C from a natural form, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. is one of the easiest ways. Like if I haven't seen your blood markers and you just kind of describe to me how you feel and it's like, hey, give me five things to take to feel better, high dose of natural vitamin C is one of the safest and easiest way to improve life quality. And it applies to so many different people in so many different situations.
0: Uh, Absolutely. I'm thinking of all the cases as you're talking of people with low iron. Well, vitamin C helps with the uptake of iron. People that have histamine intolerance, it's a mast cell stabilizer. It's an antioxidant for people that have inflammation. So
1: there's so many far reaching benefits too. It's a real Swiss army knife for sure. And especially with nutrient absorption, it's such in herbalism, it's such a powerful ally for absorption of so many nutrients Mm -hmm. that you might otherwise struggle to absorb. Yeah, well then you think of it back to
0: that earlier statement of nature being what it is and intelligence of being able to put these things all together synergistically to help the absorption, to help the bioavailability of these things, these compounds Uh that are just beginning to be studied really. I could talk to you forever, my friend. I I have to pick your brain about a few different things (laughs) that I just have to talk to you about publicly. And then we're gonna dive into your art of being well. But I want to discuss with you, we're talking about adaptogens, we're talking about about mushrooms. You're my go-to person when I talk about all things sort of spiritual, metaphysical, and its connection with health and wellness too. And I've been doing a lot of research, as you know, about psychedelic sacraments and the human relationship ancestrally with these plants, right? So up until this point, we've not talked about any psychedelics. None of these things are psychedelics. None of them are psychoactive for people that are new to this, but some mushrooms are psychedelic. Can you just talk, I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, but just the relationship that humans had with these plants and impacting not only our health, but consciousness as a whole.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's another podcast by itself. But in (laughs) in brief, I find it hilarious when somebody says like, hey, I've never taken mushrooms and I don't take mushrooms when your skin and your gut will have fungi. If you drink beer, wine, bread, cheese, any fermented product, kombucha, sauerkraut, miso, like they all have fungi. Same way, similar to that, I feel funny when people say like, oh, a drug is a drug, I've never taken it. And then when you start to peel off, you realize that all our ancestors used mind-altering substances. And it's now proven with archaeological findings of like founders of our modern democracy in ancient Greece did these sacrifices in the Orthodox Church when there was smoke in the church maybe there was something in the smoke and to the point of santa claus like the story of santa claus is related to a psychedelic mushroom amanita muscaria so we definitely have pretty much all religions and all ancient cultures have had some touch point on some altering you know the the words of psychedelics are used somewhat broadly but like something that alters the mind and they're part of our heritage and how we got here And to what extent, nobody really knows, but to some extent is kind of a given.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when I'm seeing a lot of history and religion through this lens, and I even read I was re- reading this, I was a researcher talking about this, but he was talking about verses in the Bible about, I think it was Paul in the New Testament talking about the third heaven. He was caught up in these visions and everything. And then you look at the Greece and the context of the Middle East at that time and Europe and how these psychedelic sacraments and the kukion and these these basically the the, the sacrament that they would have, the, the original... Why, why am I blanking on the term of it? But the original sacrament of the wine and the bread, communion, sorry, is, was the theory is that these were psychedelic at least at some point. And then basically mm-hmm. we're left with the placebo today. <laughs> we're just sort of pretending about what our ancestors would have had these psychedelic spiritual experiences.
1: Yeah, so anybody who's interested because we don't have time to go into all the yeah. words, I really love Brian Mororescu as the one of the topic area experts alive. He's written a book about called Immortality Key. He is absolutely fantastic with languages. and I think languages are in- interesting besides archaeological findings where you can study old wine. And beer holders, and what was in the first wines and beers of the world. But I think language is another way how you can progress. So, anybody who there's a bunch of podcasts, you know, with Lex Friedman, Joe Rogan, but he's a great guy, Brian. So Brian Muresco, if you're interested in this, and the more famous stuff is with Mushroom and the Sacred Cross with John Allegro, Terence McKenna. There's these people that are more classic, but I would I would recommend Brian's work as a way to kind of get into like what are known facts and interestingly brian himself has never taken psychedelics but his research kind of proves how how they're part of our heritage yeah very much so
0: thanks for touching on that you're right it's a whole completely (laughs) deep conversation (laughs) But, but i would say
1: it is quite interesting and relevant to where the world is and what we're facing. And I am just happy to see progress made from a legality point of view, and the research that is coming from amazing places, from NYU to John Hopkins to Imperial College about this topic, because whatever the result is, I think taboos and not researching is not serving our needs and mental health and mental mm-hmm. wellness issues. So. I do love all the research coming out, and I do love that people are more open to having at least a dialogue about Mm -hmm. these ancient and important substances.
0: Yeah. And then when you look at the research around these psychedelics with them healing people with PTSD and autoimmune problems and, and panic disorders, and then you think of how if they were used historically, and then you read all these religious texts of radical healings, that honestly aren't really happening within the church anymore. They're not happening within spirituality, but they are happening with the psychedelics. Well, what's the missing thing from this conversation? I think it's just fascinating to to entertain these thoughts.
1: And I do think those two supported each other. So I think sometimes psychedelics are used in this very atheist way and without the proper support network. So I think Timothy Leary is a known figure in the story of psychedelics in America and and his work and Ram Dass or his former colleague Richard Alpern was his name before Ram Dass and the study of set and setting. But I think the point of sacred is very important and I think religion supported or supports or some sort of faith supports the practice of psychedelics and without some sort of faith anchor psychedelics are potentially somewhat dangerous, mm-hmm. but but that's not, that's my personal opinion. Yeah. I have to agree to it, but they're powerful tools.
0: They are, they're powerful tools and should be used, like you mentioned, with a great set and setting. My friend, you know the podcast is called The Art of Being Well, you did this last time. I'm gonna spit a yeah. few questions at you, different ones this time. First great. question, this is Tero, tero isokowupala, A minus <laughs> again, Art of Being Well. What is a healthy food, That is the worst tasting healthy food, but you still eat the dang thing because it's so
1: good for you. Noni. Noni (laughs) is, noni is, my wife loves noni and I I absolutely (laughs) don't understand how she loves noni. It's so smelly and it tastes like, I weirdly like blue cheese. People say it tastes like, it's a fruit that tastes like blue cheese. To me, I like blue cheese. Noni, I have to kind of eat with a, like a like a sour face, but it, I love it. And it's one of those things where I do get instant benefits and I notice when I get it fresh or fermented. So I love, love it. it. Just think that your wife loves Noni. I've never met someone that like loves it. I've seen dogs who crave it. I've seen Hawaiian dogs that are like, look 10 years younger than they are and they just <laughs> crave it. But I, there's very few humans that I know that enjoy, but she loves it. And love it. yeah, it's it's amazing.
0: Love it. If you were able to live to the age of 100 and keep either when? the, the when? mind. <laughs> what's, what's that? When I will. Live. Yeah, well, exactly. Let's reframe yeah. that. That's right. Yeah. When you were able to live to the age of 100. And if you if you had to pick, you won't have to pick between this. It doesn't have to be either or for tarot. But if you had to pick either the mind or the body of a 30 year old
1: for the last 70 years of your life, which one would you pick? This might be controversial. I don't know if it's controversial. I'll choose the body. I think the mind is like somewhat overrated. And I think the mind blocks happiness. And like it is a powerful tool to create. Like we wouldn't be able to create our legacy, we wouldn't be able to create many things with the mind, but purely out of enjoyment and like happiness. Like I think mind is sometimes gets in the way of happiness versus body. Like if you, can't climb mountains and you can't see well you can't hear well so many of the beautiful experiences that the world offers are are enabled through the body so i, I would love that take the body i know it's a trick question and i know both, it's really not as you can debate but i would yeah. take the body and have amazing sex and <laughs> hike up the mountains and swim in beautiful lagoons and and do all these things and then forget stuff. Like I would forget where stuff is and that's fine. <laughs> I love you. I, that That is the insight
0: that I wanted and I expected from you with that question. Yeah, it got me thinking for sure. All right, next question. What's the weirdest thing that you've done for your wellness
1: that you're willing to admit on a podcast? Drinking urine, that's pretty weird. I <laughs> nap really on a nail bed. I don't know if that's that weird anymore. <laughs> Stem cells. I think for a lot brain. of
0: people, those two things are very weird. So, for, back up, drinking urine, I know it's a thing
1: within our space. So, what what was the context of that? Uh, experimentation, but there's two reasons to take urine. One is a healing lack of particularly certain nutrients that your body excretes. So, certain people with serious illnesses, which I luckily don't have, is they drink their own urine to restore some of those lost nutrients. So, urine therapy or urinotherapy. The other one is the use of a particular psychedelic mushroom, Amanita muscaria that I mentioned as the Santa Claus connection. There's kind of a toxic brain hurting ingredient, hypotenic acid, but it converts in our body to muscimol, which is a psychedelic compound. But in the urine, there is no hypotenic acid. It's just concentrated forms of muscimol. So that's that would be the second context. Got but it. And what was the nails, it, the sleeping on the nails? I, I, I- sleep... Every day on a nail bed, which is like three thousand like metal nails, and it relaxes my central nervous system. Wow. It obviously helps with muscle recovery as well. But that's that's one. And then I get stem cells. So like I have like umbilical cord stem cells from some Mexican <laughs> baby in me, and people are like, "What the heck are you doing?" But that would be it. But I don't know. I guess it depends. When well, you ask what's weird. Yeah, it's relative. I know that. So you're sleeping the whole night on the nail bed. Sorry to go no, back to I this. Take a, I take a nap because the problem is when you stay still, you feel amazing. It hurts for a couple of minutes and then you completely relax and you're amazing. But the moment you move, it's the whole point is that you're you have a little bit of weight on every nail. And the more weight you have on less nails, the more pain. distribution of it all. When you're distributed evenly and you stay still, it feels great. And then the moment you move... So I usually take my daily nap. I take about 15-20 minute nap. I don't put a phone or anything. Alarm. I just naturally nap on the nail bed and I feel like a million bucks. Do you? Buy, I need to look into this.
0: Do, you, do can you buy one? Where where are you getting? There's
1: plastic ones that I can vouch for. They're better than nothing, but they're far from the actual nail versions. I have three of them. I think you can buy them now on Amazon. I bought it from Eastern Europe. There they are. I got it from this Estonian healer, and I think they're Bulgarian. If I'm not incorrect. But okay. Well. Yeah, That's basically the most wellness
0: sentence you just said, an Estonian <laughs> healer that you've got. <laughs> my friend, I love yeah. you. I appreciate you. Where can people go to get the book, all the things, it, learn about your work?
1: Yeah, wherever books are sold, Barnes & Noble, whatever, one of those online giants, they buy books from Amazon and your local independent bookstore. So wherever books are sold. So both of my books, Healing Mushrooms and Healing Adaptogens are found cool. in and for Sigmatic, where can they go for that? Yeah, wherever you live, where believe it or not, we're now sold at like Target and Walmart as well. But yeah, online in retail, in coffee aisle for the coffees and yeah. supplement aisle for the proteins and other mushroom adaptogen supplements. I love it. Yeah, you're everywhere. Health food stores, like you said,
0: Target, Walmart. I think I even saw For Sigmatic, are you in Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus
1: or something like that? You're <laughs> yeah, everywhere. We- yeah, I think we're the first food product ever at Sephora and first food product at Alta, although I don't think, I think Sephora stopped selling food product now, so. Hey, you're doing, you're doing the Lord's work,
0: my friend. I appreciate you. Thank you. Can't wait to talk to you. Thanks, man. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from Jacqueline. Jacqueline asks I was looking at the information on your site about telehealth and saw different options. What are the differences between them? Thanks for the question, Jacqueline. As you all know, my day job, as much as I love this podcast, my day job is getting to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago. And this podcast, just like the books, they are just an outpouring, a ripple effect of my passion of being a part of people's health journey. It's a sacred responsibility for me. So what Jacqueline is re- is referring to is at com we have a consultation becoming a patient page. And I we worked very hard on that page to make it clear to um, allow people to have choice when it comes to how they can integrate functional medicine telehealth in their life. So we have different models of care and support at this time. We have Concierge, which is what I've done mostly for the past 12 plus years. That is one-on-one private coaching guidance, really providing you a functional medicine perspective on your case. That's where most of my patients are in. And it's unparalleled if I do say so myself, as far as the immersive advanced level of care and support that we provide our people. And these are people that we really care for deeply and spend a lot of time and really immerse ourselves in their case and giving them answers, giving them tools and holding space for them to recover their health. So these are people that are struggling with different autoimmune issues, hormonal problems, digestive problems, things like brain fog, fatigue, anxiety, depression, really supporting their wellness, running labs, clinically monitoring them, coaching them, guiding them. So you'll see on that page that we have a graphic that kind of compares and contrasts different types of one-on-one telehealth support. So we have what we call starting point, which allows more flexibility, a la carte uh, support you can bring into your life. And then we have the the more traditional concierge telehealth model as well. Um, And we have full email and phone support, the telehealth visits, their protocols are included in that, as well as there's weekly group calls with me as well. Uh, So there's choice. I want people to have agency over their health and really meet them where they're at. And we want to not just know what, what they need on a clinical level, but also how can I be there for you in the way that you're even looking for and understanding that? So we've developed these ways that I can be there for people based off of what I've heard for the past 12 years and what people are looking for. And everybody's at different points in their health journey. And then what you'll also see on that page is a group care model, which we launched actually in 2020. So it's been a few years, and it is growing by leaps and bounds. And it everybody has their own health coach in that model of support, as well as there's weekly group calls with me in that model as well. And this is a beautiful online community. Talking with patients 10, 11 hours a day, I have heard over and over again, over the years, this need for community. And it makes sense. It can be quite isolating to go through a quote-unquote silent health problem, like fatigue problems or hormonal problems or anxiety, depression, autoimmune issues. On the outside, people look quote-unquote normal and they, their family and friends, as loving as they may be, they don't know what it takes just to get through the day sometimes. So it can be quite isolating for the person that's going through it. So... What we were able to do with this group telehealth model is really provide this positive community because community is medicine. And in addition to our functional medicine support and the protocols and our clinical monitoring and coaching, we're able to really provide this group care model. And really what the group care model enables us to do is to make functional medicine even more accessible, even more affordable to people, And basically my goal with it was just to further democratize and make it accessible and affordable to people around the world. So those are the three main models that I'm being there for people. So whatever makes the most sense for you, Jacqueline, and whoever else is listening to this, I wanted to just give you choice uh, when it comes to functional medicine, something that I love so dearly. So if you want to learn more about what Jacqueline's talking about, you can check it all out at drwillcole.com. Just head on over to consultation, becoming a patient, uh, and you'll see all of that there. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com podcast. I'll be back every Monday and Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon.